Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to begin a series called More, Jesus from Beginning to End. And it's a study of the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And I want to begin this morning by just simply asking you, what's the biggest thing that has happened to you this week? What's the biggest thing that happened to you this week? Maybe other than an ice storm, that commonality that we share uh, in the Missouri weather, it'll probably be 75 this week at some point and then back to ice next weekend. But I'm not upset about that. It just puts me on edge all weekend, right? What's the biggest thing that's happened to you? I wanted to begin with this grandiose big story this morning. But I'll be honest with you, I got nothing. I got nothing. It was an average, normal, run-of-the-meal kind of week for me. And you know what? I'm pretty thankful for that. As I look back on it and as I thought about it, uh, there is no larger-than-life ending to the week It was just average, peaceful, restful, and enjoyable. And you know what? That's pretty good for me. I like those kind of weekends. And as I was preparing for this message, though, I became increasingly convinced of God's desire to bring us more and how often I look for the fanfare when God wants to bring it in the mundane. How often I look for the big, larger-than-life ending when God wants to bring it in the everyday of where we're living. And so that's how I come to you this morning, convinced that God's desire for more for your life, for our church, and for what he wants to do in the world remains. Last week, I introduced this series by tracing Paul's second missionary journey through the 16th and eight, uh, through the 16th to 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And the historical setting for this letter to 1 Thessalonians is found in Acts chapter 17, really the first 10 verses. You can read where it is that Paul came into Thessalonica and began to preach the gospel and many of the things that had happened to him there. And months and even years later, after he left Thessalonica, he heard by a messenger of all that God had done after he left. His time there was anything but joyful overall. He endured great hardship, great persecution there, and ultimately had to move along out of threat of life. But God worked powerfully in Thessalonica even after, more so after, Paul left. And that was the exciting thing to Paul. As we prepare for this series, I want to try to help you just set in context what I believe God wants to do in this season of study in your life and in our church's life. Maybe you feel like it's been a long time since God has done much of anything, let alone something astoundingly more. In your life. Maybe you feel like your spiritual life has been on uh, autopilot or cruise control or simply coasting in many ways. What I believe God wants us to do in this series, though, is that He is leading us to, to look to Him for the more that He wants to bring to each of our lives. 
And maybe what you'll find in the midst of this is that the way you think of more isn't necessarily the way God intends for more to be in your life. Are you ready, though, to look to him, to listen, and to receive the more that he has for you? For God works through the gospel for more. And as we're going to see in Thessalonica, more, as Paul says, love among them, more Christ-likeness in them, and more hope in the world for them. And so in this study entitled, More, Jesus from Beginning to End, I'm aiming for us as a church, for each individual to see more of all that God has for your life. More of all that God has for our church and more that God has through us in the world for the sense of the gospel. And I hope and pray that this doesn't come across as some kind of hollow promise, some kind of empty words that are just simply leverage for something more. Actually, it's a labor for more Jesus, not just in what God can give us or, or what God does for us, but rather to see more Jesus in us. You see, God isn't done yet. And that's what we're going to learn in 1 Thessalonians, that he is doing more in his people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you go to 1 Thessalonians with me? I'm going to read the first five verses for us, and that's where I'll begin this morning. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. I want us to see today the God who gives more. And we begin with Paul's reminder to the Thessalonians of how God was working from the very beginning and how it is God who will continue the work that he began. Friends, all the more, quote unquote, that God will do will be done in the same way that he's always worked because that's how God works. And that's what I want us to see today. The aim of this entire book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica is simply this, that Paul's first concern is that they not get so consumed by what God has done in the past that they lose sight of what's ahead. That they not get so distracted and consumed by what's taken place that they lose focus and become complacent where they are and with what God is doing 
Now, Paul is urging them to stay focused on the more that God wants to do. You see, friends, the gospel is not just for Christ followers to survive day to day, but rather to thrive as we live for more of God. I gave you a quote last week from Charles Spurgeon that says this, He who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet. And what he is saying to us is the essence of Christianity, that to know Christ is to, in essence, long for more of him daily. Moment by moment, season by season, to know Jesus is to long for more Jesus. God's grace leads us to excel in all of life and to live for more Jesus through the gospel. And so today we begin with the God who gives more. And I want you to walk away with this today, that God works through the gospel for more faith, more love, and more hope in all who trust in Jesus. And I don't know what you need most today, if it's faith to believe, if it's love to extend and receive, or if it's hope to hold on. But God has that for you today. And I want us to see in these short verses that God always brings more through the gospel in three distinct ways. Way number one is that God works for more when his people serve the gospel. God works for more when his people serve the the gospel. Verse 3 tells us that Paul says he was remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul remembers very well God's work at Thessalonica. Why? Well, if you look at where Paul is in Corinth by the time he writes this letter, he's been beat up, he's been threatened, he's been jailed, he's been falsely accused, and he's been rioted over so that he's been run out of town more than once. And he's in Corinth, friends. We've read the book of Corinthians. It's not a place for a Christian to go to feel comforted by the world. And yet he receives this report that becomes overwhelmingly encouraging to him. You see, friends, the gospel work that he labored for in Thessalonica was the same gospel work that he remembered in his own life. Because before the gospel produced more believers in Thessalonica through the serving of Paul the apostle, it was maturing the very heart of the one that was serving. That's what he's saying. The work was hard and the opposition was strong. And the only evidence that they should even continue in, in the work was simply that they were trusting God for more. There was no outward evidence that they should keep doing what they were doing. That there was no fruit. There was not even so much as a little bud popping through the dirt that says, hey, we've got some life here, right? There wasn't anything taking place that said, hey, you know what? Maybe we ought to keep doing this except for one fact holding them. And that was their faith in God that he wanted to do more. You see, friends, before the gospel and its work produces faith in others. It always comes out of faith in the worker. 
And this work of faith, friends, is not just church planting. Surely that's one expression of it. It's, it's in every instance of, of a follower of Jesus sharing their faith, sharing their testimony, speaking a word of encouragement, giving him honor and glory that he is rightfully due. It's, it's in that act of service that people may or may not know fully why you're doing it, yet they experience that moment of love by that practical need met. This is the work of faith, and God works for more in his people by their faith working out in them. And he works while he's working through his people for more faith so that others will believe. Friends, hear me. Every work of faith that is only done because of what we believe in God, because of what we've experienced by Jesus Christ in our own life, every work of faith, comes out as a labor of love. That's why Paul went to Thessalonica to begin with. It's not like he got this great invite and their people talked to his people and contractually they were able to work something out and really dial in on the numbers and figure out the dates. And so they agreed and hey, he went and, and, and there was a big welcoming party waiting on him there and they celebrated him with flashing neon lights. Hey, Paul's in town, Paul's here. No, he snuck in a gate where nobody noticed who he was. He had a couple of guys with him wondering when the big fanfare was going to come that never came. And as they did in every city they walked through, they just began to talk to people that they encountered. And they began to meet people where they were in life and to share with them the life that was in them. Some laughed, some scoffed. Some rolled their eyes, some raised their brows and their nose to look down. And some paused long enough to hear what they were saying. And in those moments when people were ready to hear and receive, God worked. Never forget this, Christian. Sharing the gospel and serving the gospel, if for no other sign of evidence... Other than this, that you believe in Jesus and what he's done and you know that he loves people that are far from him is always the most potent way to love others. Far more than any personal connection you may have, surely any gospel-fueled motivation to love others doesn't exclude personal connection, but it always precedes it, friends. It always precedes it. God's commanded us to go. He's authorized and commissioned us. Therefore, wherever we go in his name, we go in his authority and power. He's already there. He's working. We are joining him in that work. Friends, this is the gospel, that God loved us first. Amen. And that's the way we love people. The life of every Christ follower is to be lived as a labor of love. And as Paul will later write to us in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't matter what we do nor how well we do it, adequately or proficiently or sufficiently, if we do it without love, we're little more than a clanging gong in the ears of people that's irritating I don't know if you're aware of that or not 
Christians live to share God's love, to love others with the gospel so others can know God's love through Jesus Christ. And friends, this is our work of faith. This is our labor of love that always comes with, Paul says, a steadfastness of hope. Friends, the gospel is never absent, always includes a hope that endures in all circumstances. Because we know God is working as we serve the gospel. We hold fast in hope, knowing God is working even when and though we don't know how he will do his work. One of the most famous accounts of this is from a man by the name of William Carey. He is known as the father of the modern mission movement. He was one of the first on record in modern history, if you will, to leave his principal culture and to go to another culture that he was not familiar with, but to take the gospel to them. And he is famously quoted in this way, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's been the mantra for countless individuals and countless organizations taking the gospel across cultural boundaries to other people through the last several hundred years. William Carey went to India, and after moving to India and experiencing no response, as a matter of fact, coming under severe persecution physically and and with threats and and opposition and hardship, uh, the, the history books tell us he suffered great illness personally. He suffered with great depression and loneliness because of the work. He even lost some of his family members in the midst of the work. He lost everything and was under those kinds of situations that gave him every reasonable purpose to validate the fact that maybe we should just go home. God may not be in this. And yet here's what he wrote. I'm in a strange land. I have no Christian friend. I have a large family and no way to supply for their needs. Well, I have God, and his word is sure. William Carey labored in India for seven years before he saw his first convert. Seven years. I'm telling you, seven minutes and I'm getting antsy. Recently, I heard an older pastor outline his ministry by the emotions that he had learned through the ministry. And this comes by a a man who was introduced as being very fruitful in the number of ministers that he had sent out from his church. 50 some odd ministers that he had sent out that were actively pastoring and serving the gospel in the world today. And here's what he said. He said, the first emotion I learned was from the first church I went to out of seminary. And it's this emotion. What the heck? He said, I got there and I had a a full belt of tools ready to go to work. And what I found out was it was a small rural Texas church and they didn't want to do anything, let alone they didn't believe they could do anything. And everything that I put on the table, they said, now, pastor, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. And he said, for two and a half years, that's what I lived through. 
do you believe anything? That you could do anything? He said, from there, God led me to another church. And he said, I thought I was going to a better situation. He said, but almost immediately, I began to learn what I've come back to look on as the emotion of I hate you. (laughs) Kind of warm and fuzzy, right? Yes, and he said this. He said, I went from a people that didn't believe they could do anything to a people who were diametrically opposed and hardened to doing anything. He said, it got so bad. And and people were daily, multiple times daily, calling me and, and demanding from me. He said, they didn't email me because we didn't email in those days. They didn't text me because there were no text messages. But he said, one day a man showed up at the office and said, hey, we need to go see Bill. He's upset. Okay. He said, my week had already been pretty much ruined. He said, I got in the truck. I drove out. I couldn't imagine what Bill was upset about. And he said, but we got there. Bill pulled up on his tractor, hopped off the tractor and walked over. He said, he kind of cocked his head and said, pastor, I got something to ask you. And he said, this week you're telling us you want us to pray. And you told us we've got to pray in our own homes. We ain't never been told that before. We're not going to do it. And he turned and got back on his tractor and drove away. And the guy stood there and he said, of all the things I could have heard that could have been justifiably leveled against me, asking them to pray in their homes was the reason they were opposing me. And he said, after about 18 months of serving in this church and having more than his fill of this kind of response. He said, I was pacing through the house one night, praying to the Lord, telling the Lord all of his wrongs for sending me to this hole of a place. And all the reasons and all the people that had created the opportunity and that there was nothing here that I could even latch on to to find some kind of semblance of validation for ministry. And he said this. He said about an hour and a half into his prayer, God stopped him in his tracks and the spirit very silently and potently said, did I send you to them to be loved by them? Or to love them. That's called a paradigm altering moment. He said the third emotion I learned came not long after that because I wasn't there much longer. (laughs) He said this. He said that through deep pain of loss, God's enduring hope sustains That came from a man who's been at his church now about 28 years. And he said this. He said, we've seen a lot of great things take place. But it's always come through a lot of pain and loss endured. He said, but I've learned this. That God's hope never fails. It's always faithful to endure. And as I prepared for this message and I'm thinking about the words of the Apostle Paul to the people of Thessalonica, I'm thinking how appropriate this outline of emotions of his pastoral ministry lays over the very introductory words of Paul. Yes, I do remember you, he says. 
It was a work of faith, not a fruit. It was a labor of love, not of warm and fuzzies. But it was a steadfastness of hope because the gospel was always sufficient. Paul exhorts them to strive to excel for more, for God to do more because of how his work began. You see, a a true gospel work must take root within the worker before they'll ever endure in the work. And how easily the work can sidetrack with the smallest amount of success. One commentator states Paul's greatest concern for the church in this letter of Thessalonians in this way. Abounding in the work of the Lord is only one step removed from abandoning the work of the Lord through complacency. What God starts, he completes. And he not only completes it, but he brings it to its purposed end, its perfection. That's what Philippians 1.6 promises us, friends. It is the end for which God began his work. First, we see that God works for more when his people serve the gospel. Second of all, we see that God works for more people for his glory. Verse 4, he says this, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul authenticates the work that took place in Thessalonica by identifying it as a genuine work of God. Not just a big show or hyped entertainment as has often been substituted for genuine gospel labor throughout the history and the ages. But rather, Paul says, that those who heard the gospel responded in faith and they prove that they are chosen. And with that, Paul gives a big answer to an even bigger question that has prevailed in Christianity. How can one know we are chosen by God? Chosen by God. Friends, we know we are chosen by God When the gospel comes by faith to full fruition in our life. This is the evidence that God is working in us in a way that only God can work. When God works for more, he always works in his people. More is not something that we have to beg God for. More is what God is wanting to do in the earth. And as the Old Testament prophet cries out, he wants to cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea with his glory through the salvation of people. Praying and working for more means that we, as those who are his chosen, bearing fruit for him, are aligning our hearts and aligning our lives with God to see him work in us, that he might use us as instruments to work through us for more people to bring honor and glory to him in the world. Friends, God is not just working to make your life better, to make your life more convenient, to make your life more comfortable. That's not the gospel. It is a horrific, pathetic substitute for the gospel. But God is working to bring more glory on the earth by giving life eternal to more people who will bear his glory in the earth. Paul knew this 
that the work that had taken place among the Thessalonians was not a work that he had done. It was a work that only God can do. But God did this work. And when you serve the gospel, God works to produce more life-giving power within in order to bear fruit in others for his glory. Friends, the second aspect that we see of the way that God works is that he works for more people for his glory. And thirdly today, we see in verse 5, That God works for more, that his work for more through the gospel always includes three aspects, power and the spirit and full conviction. Look at verse 5 with me. Because he says, our gospel came to you not only in word, in the speaking of the gospel and the word of Jesus Christ, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. More from God, friends, begins in his work of salvation, in his power that alone saves, by his spirit that comes and inhabits the one who by faith repents of their sin and places their trust in Jesus Christ. And with the full conviction of understanding who God is, of knowing what our sin is, and turning from it to trust in him. Friends, there is no work of God that includes less than all three of these. That when the word of God goes forth, its power is always there, his spirit is always present, and the conviction that comes from God is the means by which he works. God always works with unimaginable power that is sufficient to accomplish his purpose. It has been said that a thousand nuclear bombs cannot compare to the power required to change the human heart. That is so true. There is no hardness like human heart hardness. I've seen it in my years of ministry. Dare I say I've experienced it in my own years of life. When someone looks at another, sometimes even someone that is their spouse with a hardness that will not be broken. They're hard, friends. And you can give them every rational excuse and reason why their line of thinking is detrimental, not only to everyone else, but even to themselves. But the hardness of heart says, I don't care. I don't care. There's no power in this world that will ever be compounded that can change the state of the hardness of a human heart. But friends, there is no hardness that compares to the power of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God that comes through it that doesn't just shatter the heart. It just makes it dust. That would be my own testimony. And I know it's the testimony of so many of you that a heart that cannot be broken is completely undone by the love of God that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, when God works, he works with that kind of power 
that is sufficient to break the hardest of hearts and to turn it to dust that it might become tender with the heart that God gives in its place. God works in people in ways that nothing else can work. And when we serve, when we love, when we hold out hope, for people who seem to be in hopeless situations. We're not beckoning upon what we can do, either individually or corporately or any other way, but we're holding forth what only God can do. There is a desperation in gospel ministry. There is a holy urgency in gospel ministry because we reach a point where only God can act. And that's what we are desiring and praying and hoping and serving to see is for the power of God to come by his word shared faithfully through his people. God works in the heart by the power of his love to bring about his will in life. Always, always. God always is present by the Holy Spirit to carry out his work. For the Holy Spirit works within us to apply God's will directly in our life with with specific and clarifying detail, I might testify. The Spirit applies the word of God that comes with power to bring light where we've chosen to live in darkness, to bring hope where we've chosen to believe hopelessness, to bring wisdom where we've given in to confusion or deceit to bring strength to exhaustion in our life to bring joy to those that are downcast to bring comfort to those that are brokenhearted to bring cleansing to sinfulness to bring liberty from bondage the spirit of God is bringing the word of God and his power to full fruition to meet the specific detail and need of your life the Holy Spirit works the word of God into the child of God with a spiritual laser precision Decision and provision to show the child of God where the Father resides so they can run to Him. Don't ever think that your testimony is individual and isolated and alone. For the power of God, by the working of his Holy Spirit, was not only there with you, he was there before you got there. He's going to be there after you're gone. Know this He's working. He's working. And God always works by conviction, friends. Conviction. There's a mole on the inside. And he is the creator of our life. God knit us together in the womb. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And when his power works, he doesn't just come at us from the outside. But he's got a beacon on the inside of desire, of want that resonates with this message and it brings conviction. God always works by conviction. We can know that the power of God is working in us and the Spirit of God is working by His conviction when we have a clear picture of God's holiness and His worthiness of worship. When we have an agreement with God and a deeper understanding of our own sin and we see the chasm between the two Friends, I want you to know that that conviction that comes by the Spirit of God through the power of His Word working in the heart of an individual is a confirmation that is greater than any extent of DNA forensic. It is my sin, Psalm 51 says. My sin, God. 
cannot be put on another. And it comes with an intensifying soul heat stirring in order to seek help for our damnable position. Holy Spirit conviction shows the dead end that we're traveling on by self and gives to us the only way to God, the hope of the path of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We sometimes confuse condemnation for conviction, but there is a vast difference, friends. Condemnation causes us to build a great wall of self-defense. Condemnation causes us a more stated rationale for our sin to continue to develop. And condemnation always causes us to find another object of blame to defer the guilt that is sits so heavily upon us. But friends, that's not conviction. That will never bring the work of God because because condemnation is never from God. It's always rooted in sin. Condemnation directs us to look for a way out, but in the end, we're only deceived by its wicked threesome of self-hate, shame, and guilt. Conviction always shows us God's holiness and our sinfulness as it points us to Jesus who bore condemnation's wicked threesome for us to show us his love and to invite us to come to the Father. Friends, God's work for more always comes by his power, by the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. When God works for more, you can be confident he will bring that more to full Completion, because God always finishes perfectly what he starts. Maybe you're asking today, is God working in my life? Maybe you're asking a bigger question. Will or, or would God work for more in my life? Maybe on that pathway of, of autopilot or, or that roadway of, of cruise control, that, that spiritual complacency that you sense in your own heart would cause you just to have an inkling, a passing thought of all you know about God to ask, would God do that? You can know in this way, friends. Is there any area in your life, maybe it's a situation that you've found yourself in, maybe it's a relationship that you're in, could be your marriage, could be a relationship with a child, or maybe it's just the relational structure of your home. Maybe it's the relationships you have in life that compete with godliness within you. And, and the, 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 the seesaw seems to be tilted more towards the things of the world than the things of God. Maybe it's in some circumstance, a decision perhaps, that you're weighing the odds of what you are to do. And in the midst of this, this area of life, you sense God speaking to you. You know what he wants to do, but you have no idea how he might or even could do it. You, you don't see a way out. There's only one way or two ways or a few ways that you see. But none of them clearly lead to God. None of them point to Jesus as your hope. He's calling you to walk by faith and to trust him. Will you? 
Is there any area in your life where, where you sense God speaking to you to, to love others more deeply? Maybe you've reached the end of yourself in your regards of loving this individual person. You say, God, I can't love this person anymore. You know what they've done to me? And maybe you've paced the floor at night and you've grown angry not only with other people but with God over what he's making you endure through what they're doing to you. And if you were honest with yourself, you've hidden it from everybody else. It might even be your spouse. And you've put it away so deeply, you don't even have many instances of remembering it yourself. But every time God begins to speak, it comes back to the surface. God's calling you to love others more, more intentionally, more deeply. Maybe there's an area of your life where you sense God speaking for you just to hold on. Keep doing what you're doing. That there is no evidence for why you should continue. There's no goodness coming right now. Not only is there no fruit on the vine, there's not even a green leaf poking through the dirt. It's just all dirt right now, right? And everything seems to be getting dirtier and muddier. But you sense in your heart, no, I'm supposed to hold on. I don't know how I'm going to. I don't know all that that means. But I do think God is saying, hold on. Friends, if any of these are anywhere near true, know this. God is inviting you into the more that he has for you. He's not just wanting to give you some trinket or toy. He's not just wanting to do something for you. So you got a story to tell like nobody's ever told before. Let me tell you, every testimony is the same. We're sinful. God's gracious and loving. He saves Right? I know the details can get a lot more. But the real question comes down to this this morning. Will you listen? Will you receive? Will you trust and obey what God wants to do to bring more in your life? And that's what this whole series is about. For you, for us, for the world. Will we? Will we? Let's pray.